our marriage is going to end or it's going to truly begin because we're Mm going to begin in truth. And these are what, those are the things that brought him to Jesus. I don't Mm -hmm. like that. Those are the things that brought him to Jesus. I wish that was in our testimony, Yeah, but I'm like so grateful it is. So I was like, if we can get through that, we can get through this. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, then this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anybody else who might be encouraged by it too. Thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Okay, good morning, everybody. Today we're talking to Gerald and Tabby Zgaibai. They have been married for 20 years and they have two adopted children. Gerald is an author of Sobering Faith and Opening Up. And uh, this is their heart, this is their ministry to help other people overcome these addictions and um, heal in their marriages. And uh, they mentor other couples who have overcome. A lot of the things that we've been talking about in this season of the Raised and Redeemed podcast, we've been talking a lot about sexual addictions and pornography and breaking free from uh, just the the things that keep us bound and in shame. And so it's so exciting to have a married couple on the show today to just share how they have overcome these things in their marriage and for Tabby to share how she has supported her husband, Gerald, in these things as well to get the spouse's perspective on these things too. So Thank you guys so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, would you mind just starting a little bit with your faith stories, your journey to Jesus? I know you guys kind of have, I don't want to say opposite upbringings, but a little bit different of testimonies that have tied together into this marriage. Yes, for sure. You want to go first? Sure. Um, I grew up in the church. In fact, my dad is an Episcopal priest. Actually, he retired about a year ago. And so I grew up with really strong parents who taught us about Jesus from very early on. But I was also your typical preacher's kid where I was a little rebellious and especially in high school, very promiscuous and wanted to, for some reason, get that attention. But my dad, who is a priest, is not my biological dad. So he came into my life when I was six years old. And I do have a biological father who is addicted to drugs and alcohol and often would call and say he's coming to get me and my sister and never show up. So I feel like Mm. that childhood trauma is probably where more of the promiscuity came in. Yeah. You know, always seeking for male attention, even though I had an incredible father step in at such a young age and just be so amazing. Um, But I really did have incredible parents who were always open and honest with me about their past and always um, encouraging us to 
not piggyback off their faith, Mm -hmm. but to get a faith of our own and that like, they're going to guide us, but our relationship with Jesus is our own and everyone has their own individual relationship. So I grew up always knowing the Mm. Lord and I'm so thankful for that because it shaped who I am now. And I literally have an unwavering faith Mm. because of it. I love that. I didn't know those things. I didn't know some of those details about you. So that that makes your story even more inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, thank you. And so, yes, yeah, so I grew up and so my father was an alcoholic. So we had alcoholic and my dad was a previous drug user as well. So very early on, we had those things that we were dealing with. And um, I was about eight to 10 years old, somewhere around there, whenever my father sought help went to uh i'm going blank AA. AA. yes so and we actually were part of uh al-anon which is a fam- family counseling group for um with parents of alcoholics and so that's kind of where our journey started as kids mm. and we were part of a catholic church on and off so my parents were part of cat they were grew up catholic and so we went to catholic church you know for i don't know i was probably a teenager before we stopped doing that. And usually it's the old story. My friends got cars, so we all stopped going. Okay. And, uh, and there was, it wasn't really a lot tied into that, but uh, there was definitely a lot of intrigue and different things like that that came with my faith journey with being Catholic because I had struggles with, you know, death and anxiety and stress and all those things as a kid. And so that kind of carried on in my teenage years. Um, it wasn't, until I mean that's my first book, Sober in Faith, is about that journey just coming back to okay. to Jesus. And so all of that happened by a string of a lot of bad decisions that ultimately were all wrapped back into a nice little package. And <laughs> but it, ultimately it led me to the Salvation Army Salvation Army Church here in Waco, where okay. I accepted Christ there. Wow. My faith journey started and I was 25 years old at the time. Okay, yeah, we've wow. been married for a year and a half yep. at that point. Ah, so you came to the Lord after getting married. Yes. 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 Okay. Wow. Which is so- really cool because my dad is the one when we were dating for just like two weeks was like, you're going to marry this guy. <laughs> and he was always like, not him, not him, not him, you know, wow. but Gerald. And I was really thinking, wow, he, we've only been knowing each other for two <laughs> weeks. But my dad was right, and he always had faith that Gerald would come to know the Lord. Wow. And that was a risky decision on your part, you know, to (laughs) to have that kind of faith and to yoke with an unbeliever. But you just had this faith. Like you said, you've always had this unwavering faith. So I'm sure he knew he would come to the Lord one day. 100%. And I trust my dad so much, and he's so wise and, and just like, he's like, he's he's fine. But it helped that Gerald from the very beginning was seeking. You know what I mean? Like mm. you could tell he had questions and he wasn't like, I don't believe it was more of like a, huh, why is that? And he could yeah. hold interesting conversations with my dad and not be intimidated that he was a priest, you know? Oh, wow. Be cool. That says a lot. And I know yeah. you told me a little bit just on the Google form about how when you were lost in drugs and alcohol, Gerald, that there is a, a little bit of a cultist activity. Was this, c- could you explain yeah. sort of what that looked like for you? So uh, I was probably in high school. So when you grow up Catholic, 
and I'm not, I'm just lumping this all in. So this isn't every Catholic. So, yes. but when you grow up Catholic, you have a lot of superstitions that come along with that. And so there's a lot of symbolism, things like that. So mm-hmm. I grew up, uh, Hey, you don't touch a Ouija board. You don't touch a tarot card. You don't do any of that. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's the Bible. We may not read it, but it needs to sit there. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Be in the room. <laughs> uh, there's a, I still have my rosary sitting on my lamp over there. So it, there, there's some symbolism that I still hang on to, obviously with that, that's important to me, just like having a cross and different things. Yeah. But, uh, when I was in high school, I got wrapped up with a group of kids and we were all just in that same boat seeking, trying to figure out life. I had a friend who his dad had passed away. So he kind of went in a dark place. And a lot, of, a lot of us just didn't know what to do with all of this in life, basically. Yeah. And so we started, uh, we had, it was a, a girl I was dating at the time. And her, her mother practiced a lot of tarot cards and Ouija boards and spells and different things like that. Well, at that time, I was like, oh, this is just really cool. This is a cool thing. I remember yeah. when I first met her, she was watching X-Files and playing with tarot cards. And I was like, well, this is different. I've never <laughs> seen this before. And so a lot of that came from that uh, part. And then we all kind of was like six of us, maybe eight of us at that time. And we got really into conducting like seances and doing Ouija mm. and tarot cards and, you know, doing all the things, you know, going to graveyards, trying to summon spirits and all this stuff and all the time doing drugs and, you know, drinking mm. at the same time. And yeah. so that, that kind of carried through into my, you know, right before I was probably saved or before i met tabby for sure um where yeah i would have never been yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no seances for tabby so uh and yeah so that carried on into my early 20s um and we yeah there was a lot of a lot of things that came out of that i would say so yeah yeah no thank you for sharing that something i did want to talk a little bit about is just how this like unresolved childhood trauma um, mm-hmm. often leads to these different addictions, void fillings, um, and also a counterfeit spirituality because it's yeah. so interesting how often drugs and alcohol abuse pairs with these um, new age and occultist practices oh, yeah. because it's like we were all designed to seek our creator, but when you're in rebellion and in denial of the one true God, or maybe you just, you haven't come to believe in him yet, or you're not ready to repent of your sins. We are still designed to seek him, but we end up doing that in a counterfeit way. And that often looks like all of these, you know, the seances and the tarot Mm -hmm. cards and, and stuff like this. That was a big part of my journey as well. So, um, the alcoholism and stuff like this that you'd grown up with, was there a point in which you started to address that unresolved childhood trauma that led you to that point? So um, there was a lot of trauma. And quite honestly, as you get older, more of that comes out. So I'm 40, mm-hmm. uh, 44. 44. Yeah. I'm getting to the age where I don't remember my age. <laughs> I'm 44 now. And, you know, recently, I remember a few years ago is kind of when I went through um, we had a little bit of a falling out with another church and just a lot of things that happened. And I was re-presented with this challenge of faith and mm-hmm. re-challenged like all these people that I've put a lot of con. So it was, so just a few years ago, I had to recheck all of this trauma that had kind of come back up uh, through these relationships that we lost just through a church. Mm-hmm. And so therefore 
the trauma, I think you're always, I, I say this about pornography and uh, we were part of a human trafficking initiative called Unbound for a little while. And I remember speaking at a church and I was like, hey, you know, you never, porn is always with you. Once you expose yourself, it's there. Mm -hmm. It never goes away. The memories are there. The thoughts are there. The, the sensories are made, right? And so therefore you've been exposed. So the same thing with drugs, alcohol, you've been exposed. So then you're operating your life kind of like what you said out of this kind of fit self is trying to like outrun that now or try to process that. And now you're trying to partner with God to do that. Mm, yeah. And now you've got all this stuff you're carrying with you and you're trying to drop it too. And yeah. so um, that's kind of where the childhood trauma for me, it's been, um, it's been in and out of my life. You know, if, if I'm really honest and transparent about that, it's that I still process that yeah. weird here sometimes. So yeah. it just depends on what that looks like or, and I like, even when I've walked people through pornography addiction, I'm always like, Hey, if you get to that 90 day, like you've been sober for 90 days, get ready for attacks like crazy. Mm. Cause now it's just going to start attacking your character, start attacking who you are, start yeah. attacking your confidence in different areas. And that's where relapse usually comes right back in. Wow. It's like, Oh, I can't handle this. I got to go right back to something I know. Yeah. So was pornography your biggest slash like longest lasting addiction? Yes. So I don't even really, as I've grown older and learned more from people and visited with more people, what I realized is that drugs and alcohol were kind of the byproducts of just being in that porn world too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you start going down this road of, you know, playing with occultism or different things, all those things go hand in hand with each other. Yeah. So pornography, drugs, alcohol, everything that just goes hand in hand. Hey, everybody. First off, thank you so much for watching. Secondly, if you're enjoying this conversation, please support the show by liking, subscribing, leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. And now back to the episode. Pornography was kind of the bedrock for me because it's where I could find, I could find that acceptance. I could mm -hmm. find that control in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I could feel like, oh, I'm being empowered in some way, you know, especially when you're kind of all over the place with your faith journey. Because yeah. I can remember like 12 years old, 13 years old, I started going on this journey and really asking hard questions of my priest, of my parents, and no one was able to even answer it or they didn't want to talk about it. So therefore, that makes you feel kind of weird and like, oh, I must be asking questions or maybe this is all a farce and this isn't real. Like, yeah. why are we doing, why am I playing this game? Yes. And then you go down the road of like, well, why am I alive? What's the yeah. purpose of all this? And so for me, I so I remember uh, we got a computer called a gateway computer. Nobody knows that, what that is. Probably you have to be <laughs> over 40 years old to know what that is. The name is fitting though. Yeah. The name is very yes. good. <laughs> This is back when you financed computers for five years. So, okay. And so we got a gateway computer. And I remember discovering pornography on this computer with dial-up in the middle of the country. And that's where I learned how to start becoming super secretive and start building a dual life, basically. Because wow. I learned it from like, oh, I can hide files. I can do this. I can create things. My parents don't even understand what I'm doing at this point. Yeah. Uh, then my parents had the full, you know, the full blown 
HBO, Cinemax, all these things like this. So therefore I had all that. And I, you know, several years ago, whenever I started talking about this more publicly, you know, I I reminded my parents, especially my mom, like, Hey, it's not your fault. Like you Mm -hmm. just weren't aware of it. Yeah. It was not there for you. So therefore it's not your fault that I went down this road. So, yeah. yeah. Why do you think, so you kind of mentioned a couple of things that I think were great Mm -hmm. points was like, um, watching pornography gave you a sense of maybe control or yeah. like, what, what do you think were the biggest fulfillments, like false fulfillments that you got from pornography? Yeah. So the false fulfillments is, is, is literally, I call it a, you have like reality. I was just mm-hmm. discussing this with someone on Monday. You have reality and then you have your synthetic life mm-hmm. and where reality is crushing around you. You're like, this doesn't make sense, or I can't make sense of it, or I feel like the weirdo in the bunch, or whatever. All this stuff yeah. is going the synthetic life. I can create this, I can create this world, I can create all these people that like me, that want me. And so, therefore, like with pornography, it doesn't always start with like a sexual thing, it's more yeah. or less feeling in your head, like, oh, wait, this is something I'm really a part of. Mm. Are these people like they're and quote unquote the porn business has real people, real hurting people in it, but for someone on the other side of the screen, it's just synthetic for them. Wow, it's yeah. just nothing different than going and doing you know an eight ball of coke or something. It's just, it's the same thing. Yeah, um, and people are hurting all around it, and so that's where when you look at where the driving point for me, it's like whenever I found that oh when I'm depressed or angry, I can go to this get that shot of dopamine in my head, feel a little bit relaxed for even five minutes. I will take five minutes, you know, and that's kind of how you get when you can't, when you can't resolve things in your head about what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious, like what leads to somebody to pornography versus um, sexual immorality of, of actually, or promiscuity, I would say, of yeah. sleeping with somebody, do you think, so going back to your childhood and growing up <clears throat> with, um, you know, a bit of dysfunction and disorder, this can kind of uh, warp your ability to relate to other people. Mm-hmm. So is pornography almost like, uh, how would I say, like when you don't feel in control of your relationships with other people, this is kind of like an easy way to be in right. control of, of your experience without the hard work of actually yeah. building relationship with somebody. That's definitely a large part of it because whenever you, um, so I was being bullied at some point in middle school too. So this is a whole nother part of it where people are making fun of you. You don't feel part of that crowd. Yeah, uh, It's really hard to develop relationships in the real world, even now, right? Yeah. We, we have to work at it. And so therefore, whenever you see these people just kind of faltering and going into these pornography or drugs or whatever, but pornography for this example, it's like you're seeing them create relationships. That's why you're seeing things like blow up, like, you know, the uh, the virtual reality mm-hmm. part now that is just yeah. exploding. Well, yeah. we're in a really dangerous area with that now where people are actually plugging in yeah. to a whole other sub reality. And they're staying in that reality for hours. Yes. Right after the whole COVID thing where everybody's social skills are already struggling. So this becomes an even easier way out. Yeah. And it doesn't teach you. So 
I was fortunate enough to at least have this kind of part where, you know, my mother was sexually assaulted and raped at a young age herself. So I was always, she always beating in my head. So I had this kind of combating thoughts in my head. Like my wife, my mom is always like, Hey, respect women. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Right. And then I'm over here doing this now. And it's like, okay, now I have this combating thought, right? Yeah. And then you're trying to create relationships and then you're saying, well, what I see over here, if I create a relationship with a woman, this is what I'm expected. This is what's mm-hmm. expected. And in your young mind, you're like, okay, this is what we're going to all do. Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't work out. It's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just go back to this and figure it out again. And it becomes yes. this really weird cycle. And then, so then you don't even, I haven't even mentioned the shame and guilt that goes into that yeah. part well. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I'm I'm curious too, like from both of your perspectives, how this impacted your marriage like once you have created this this vision of what you think you know intimacy is supposed to be like um and then you get married to someone and you actually have to do the hard work of learning communication and figuring out what the other person likes and it's not just about your just to be blunt it's not just your own personal satisfaction but it is sacrificing for another person now and that can be really hard work to do, especially when you have this framework programmed in of the pornography of I want, I release, like I I want, I've experienced, yeah. and now you have another person. So what did that look like for you guys relearning or relearning intimacy, I guess, in a in a God honoring way, in a in a truthful way? Yeah. You want to take that? Um honestly, like towards well, at the beginning, because like I mentioned, I had a promiscuous high school life that actually finding out that he had a pornography issue was a little shocking to me because of how that didn't go with who he was. Because when I met him, I was the one that wanted to be with him. And he was like, No, I respect you too much. Mm, okay. So which he learned from his mother. So yes, he was watching pornography, but he wasn't out here sleeping with a bunch of women and treating them like crap. So he was actually the first guy that didn't treat me like an object actually. Mm -hmm. So um, the pornography thing, when it came up later on in our marriage was, um, I don't know how to explain it. Like it was kind of shocking because I just Mm. didn't um, see him in that way because he was so, kind and loving and attentive to me all the time, you know? So I had always thought that men that viewed pornography weren't like that. You Mm -hmm. know, I really didn't know just because in high school, the boys just treated you like an object, but I met him when I was 18, right after I graduated high school. So our experience was just completely different. But when he did confess it to me because of my past, I was like, okay, uh, we can, we can get through this because I always thought everybody looks at it anyways, Mm -hmm. you know, even though my parents were very opposite of that, very against it, obviously. And they've always been very honest about this is, this is not of God. This is sexual sin, but in friend groups and stuff and in high school and stuff, like people always watched it. I didn't think it was like a real issue at first okay. if that makes sense i was just yeah. like oh okay well we'll do, you know just we'll figure it out don't watch it and we'll be fine <laughs> yeah. so how did you both come to the realization i guess that this 
thing was actually, you know, a sin and um, something that you needed to uh, combat and and cleanse yourself from? Like how yeah. how did that conviction come? So that conviction was um, whenever I accepted Christ, there was a very it was probably. So in 2003, again, this is a story I spill in a lot of detail in my first book, but I was in Del Rio down there partying with some friends and stuff like that. This is shortly after me and Tav had just gotten engaged and everything. So I go to uh, down by the border, have this whole experience where it's like, hey, we're doing drugs. We're going to strip clubs. We're doing all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, then the next Sunday, I wake up. And it's kind of one of those scenes where it's like, I don't know anybody in this room. Where am I? And I've got to get back home. So therefore, I start hitchhiking. This is just for the sake of time, because this is a long story. But I start hitchhiking. And long story short is I end up in a Bible study that morning. Mm. And because someone was giving me a ride. And they were like, well, I have to stop here. So this whole story. And I was like, okay. And this is where I started hearing about the realization of our decisions and how, you know, they affect our lives. And, and I was hearing it from a group of people that I did not intend to meet on with that I'm down there doing something totally different. And, uh, and that took me down a road and that's why I call it sober and faith is because that little event in 2003 was almost like an eye opening moment for me. And, but two weeks later, I'm at a strip club on a Monday night doing the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there was this one little change. I was sitting there and I'm like, I shouldn't be here. Oh, wow. I don't (laughs) think this is what I should be doing. Yeah. Everything just felt different. And, and so it was more or less like I started getting this generally this awareness of like, okay, maybe, you know, if I'm going to hang on to my wife and we're going to get married and have this nice marriage, like maybe I shouldn't be doing these things. Maybe I shouldn't be doing these things. You start looking at people, then then you start humanizing the people that you're, you know, looking at at a strip club or on porn or something like this. Like, wait a minute, these people are actually real people. Yeah. Like, what is their life like? Mm. And but I had a moment that was shortly before I went to Del Rio, and I had uh, I had awoken out of sleep because I felt like this gets a little real spiritual, but I literally felt like in a dream that I had like demons pulling my legs Mm -hmm. and it was just like an eye-opening moment like and it was just like your decisions are forcing you in some really dark places right oh wow And I wake up from this experience and uh I really didn't even know what to do with it (laughs) I was just like what is real and uh it is one of those moments for something that's so real and but I also had always prayed like even when I was like telling everybody I was an atheist or I didn't believe in God I still was like secretly praying. (laughs) There's something to this. I just don't know what it is and I can't figure it out. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, there's something to this. Okay. But, uh, but that was kind of the moment for me. And it took a year, 18 months for me to like really start having my eyes open up about all these decisions that just Mm -hmm. started really just complicating my life. Yeah. And I remember when I accepted Christ, drugs and alcohol, Dropped them like whatever. Just yep. stopped doing. Thought I dropped porn, and several weeks later, I'm still looking at porn. I'm like, what is going on with this? Like, this yes. is crazy. And so, fast forward, we uh, we move into a different house. Um, we're leading a youth group. We're getting super 
righteous and everything we're doing right. Yes. yes. <laughs> but, but we do. We, we were we were leading a youth group at our house uh, for a lot of teenagers that just didn't have a church home, and we're sitting in the back of the campfire. And I, some nights I would say, just let's do an open forum, right? Let's just see what everybody's on. This one kid uh, named Justin, he just looks up and he's like, "Well, uh, what's up with masturbation?" And I'm like, "Uh, okay, I don't know what to say about this, right?" Yeah. immediate conviction over me right oh wow like, oh yo you guys are struggling with this and i'm still i'm like mm. you guys struggling with this right yeah and we have an all over the place conversation about this we're cleaning up get the house cleaned up all the pizza boxes thrown away tab goes to bed i grab the light i wasn't a part of this it was just yeah that. it was just guys okay just, i wasn't a part of this conversation so i grabbed the laptop and i'm like i'm looking up stuff about porn, masturbation, all this stuff like this. I'm like, okay. I find Carl's video from Triple X Church. He does a video about X3 groups. I watch it and I'm like, my first thought was like, oh, that's BS. I don't know about that. Yes. Here's the thing. <laughs> 10 minutes later, I'm looking at porn. Mm. And this moment, it just hits me. I'm like, oh my gosh, what I just saw in that video is real. Like what he's saying is a real thing. Yeah. And I just fall on my knees. And I literally write an email. And triple expression, I'm like, I saw this guy on the video, Carl. I want to talk to Carl. Please have Carl call. I mean, that's literally, Carl <laughs> calls me like the next day. Okay. And we start talking about this. And then within like a week, I'm in the support groups already. Wow. And so, um, and that was the, that was probably the moment. So that's why I kind of go through that whole thing because with yeah. the guys I even walk with now and the ones I've walked with in the past, it's a process. Because first off, just like you said, you got to break this construct you have built in your brain. Yep. Break all that down to even be willing to hear it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I love there's a couple of things you said there. And the first is like you used to just kind of live this way. Um, you know, the strip clubs, the parties, like all of this was fine. And then after you started to become more sensitive to the Lord, mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden you're maybe still doing the things that you've. Yeah you know, habitually been doing, but now you have a sense that this is not the right thing to do. I completely, I went through that as well, like where I continued to do those things, but then I started to realize they no longer fulfilled me the way right. that they once did. And in fact, I was now feeling guilty for, for doing them after, yeah. you know, the Lord was coming upon me and revealing himself to me. So I love that part of your story. And then also, you know, how it took a fellow believer, a younger believer, but somebody who looked to you for like as a mm. mentor and leader to confess um, his sin, uh, something he was oh. struggling with. And this brought you uh, the conviction you needed on this as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's it was the nail in the coffin for yeah. sure. It was, it was definitely. Yeah. Like, I think this is a problem. Yes. Yeah. No, I just had a, a girl on the show, Anna Barajas. <clears throat> I think it's actually the episode before this one that's going to go live. And okay. she coaches people on breaking free from these sexual addictions as well. And she talked about that being one of the first and biggest hangups people have and letting go is just realizing a first and foremost, that this is a sin in God's mm -hmm. eyes. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the hardest part is like actually <clears throat> being convicted that this is something wrong for you to be doing. Right. But then once you know that, um, it gives you a good starting ground to begin to fight this thing.
What's up, you guys? I'm so excited to announce a new Raised and Redeemed merch drop. We took our apparel to the next level this time with our new Running to the Cross design that you can order in a crew neck, hoodie, oversized tee, or even on your new favorite coffee mug. Check out this design and more on RaisedAndRedeemed.com to order yours and support the show today. But then you realized it was an addiction, and so you needed yeah. support. And so I love that you found Triple X Church. So what did your healing look like there? Like, what did you learn from them? What were kind of the resources that were helpful yeah. for you in beginning to break free from this? Some of the things that I still do to this day are some of the things I learned those first few weeks being in that group. And this was several years ago now. So, uh, but one of the things that I learned the most was being able not to normalize it, but I guess that's the word like, okay. Like I remember first logging on and there's like eight other faces on the screen, all different ages, all different backgrounds and stuff like that. The one that hit me the most, there was like, there was a youth pastor and then a pastor of a church. Mm. They were all all, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) What's going on? Like this is crazy. And Carl was great. Um, by the way, he won't mind me dropping his name. So, (laughs) but you know, he was great. He's like, Drew, you don't have to say anything the first few times, just jump in, do this. And, but then he's also very straightforward with his New Jersey attitude. Like, uh, but you got to talk eventually. So Mm -hmm. you get two times and then the third time you're talking. Right. (laughs) And And I remember him saying that. And, um, and so he, so seeing these people struggling, and wanting to get out and and like when we call it a sin sin is what it is but there's so many things tied to that word that it like it almost like pushes people away mm. so there was a way of like saying like is this doing good for you right yeah. is this really feeding what you want out of life wow that's and good it, and it's just yeah. like i was talking to, to a guy and it's just like hey you know uh you know, what is it that you're wanting out of your marriage? Like, are you wanting to like start doing the things that you're going to, that you want your marriage to be like? So you have to invest in those things, these things that aren't doing well. It's kind of like you have to grow up and move past it. And, um, and so those, so learning how to really understand what triggers are Mm -hmm. at this point, I wasn't even thinking about childhood trauma or anything like that. (laughs) I was trying to operate. And so I was like, oh, triggers, you know, simple things like, hey, you know, certain TV shows, unmanaged devices, Mm. you know, nowadays, that's a really big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to be honest, there was a step in that whole process where I needed to tell Tab the full truth. Yes. Be completely open with her. Tabby, how was that for you? Um. It was shocking because, like, he had mentioned. I can't remember if I had, if you had just told me you had. Well, I told you it was a men's group at one time. Yeah, I, I, you know, because he wasn't like when he first started. He was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna check this out." Oh, he was like, "I'm just gonna check this out" because the guys asked me some questions at. Uh huh. Okay. Well, then when he like um, confesses to me and tells me like it's an issue and it's something that he's learning about. I'm a little different than most wives and um, I, I really don't know why this is. I did have a little hurt, but I wasn't um, like angry at him, yeah. I guess, because 
my unwavering faith always comes in and mm-hmm. I'm like, he's confessing to me, I'm not mm-hmm. catching him. I'm not, um, catching him in these lies. He's coming to me. Yeah. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm, I'm going to listen. And it's pain. It was very painful to listen to. I'm not saying that it didn't hurt. Yeah. It wasn't angry. It hurt very much because, um, um, when we met, I was very thin. I unfortunately have PCOS, which is why our children are adopted. It's an infertility disease. So, which causes a lot of weight gain. Um, Mm -hmm. Pizza and French fries cause it too, but (laughs) that's real. (laughs) It makes it hard to lose. So I honestly, at first, was kind of like, "Well, it makes sense." You know, he 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 does have a fat wife. That that's the lies I was telling Mm -hmm. like myself, and so I was like, "I I get it," you know, but it hurts. And so um, I honestly started doing research on my own, like how to be a spouse to help in this area, how not to be angry. And when I was doing the research, I found that one, we're in the majority of couples. It's not the minority. Most couples actually do struggle with this, but nobody talks about it. And it's like, why is nobody talking about this when most people are dealing with it? Yeah. And then two, I learned, thank good. I'm so glad I learned this part very early on is that it literally has nothing to do with me. And it started before. Preach. So yes, how I was able to be very supportive from almost very the from the very beginning, and like I said, it was not without hurt, but it was without anger because I was like, "Here's a man who's coming to me. He's a little shaky coming to me too, telling me because he's got to confess again. Because remember, we've already been through the confession of drugs and alcohol, and we had um, an infidelity moment in our in our marriage of a one night stand. So he's last thing he wants to do is come to me again. You know, I was like, I've messed up again, but God had already done so much work in us and through us that I would, we had gotten to the point where I was so grateful that he confessed to me about the drugs and alcohol and the one night stand, because it was either our marriage is going to end or it's going to truly begin because we're Mm going to begin in truth. And these are what, those are the things that brought him to Jesus. I don't mm-hmm. like that those are the things that brought him to Jesus. I wish that was in our testimony. Yeah. But I'm like so grateful it is. So I was like, if we can get through that, we can get through this. I had no idea at the time it was going to be the longest addiction and stuff mm-hmm. that we would have to um, get through. But honestly, my faith in God really, really helped me to um, be compassionate and empathetic towards him. I'm already yeah. a very empathetic person as it is. But I, once I was able to just be like, okay, this started when he's like eight, nine, 10 years old. This was, this was way before me and has nothing to do with me. And if anything, it made me, even though we were very early on in our um, marriage and in this pornography recovery, I got a passion for other people because I'm like, we need to talk about this. These things need to be talked about because marriages are ending and they're suffering in silence. Yeah. Amen. So I just did a lot of praying and, um, was like, okay, I'm going to support him. I'm going to hear hard things and I'm going to do what I, whatever I can as a spouse to help any triggers. One of the funny things that we tell couples (laughs) is funny is like one of his triggers is if we saw someone 
in a mall and she was wearing tight fitting clothes around the bottom, the butt area, I would just squeeze his hand and we'd go the other way because that yeah. was just a physical trigger that would trigger. Oh gosh. And that's was- everywhere. <laughs> It's literally everywhere. Yeah. I mean, driving down the road on a billboard, for crying out loud. Yeah. I mean, it's just like yeah. everywhere, but that was a loving way for me. And it was just unspoken. I mean, well, we don't have to do that anymore. But that at the beginning, yes, did. I, and we had to stop watching certain things. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be supportive in yep. this. And I, I need to figure out how. And honestly, the only way I could was my faith and relying on God. Because... Amen if I didn't rely on God and help him, I was going to be self-loathing because I was already uncomfortable in my skin and feeling down about myself and my weight, which he has never made me feel. He's always like, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But in my mind at the beginning, I'm like, but why are you looking at these unattainable goals for myself? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is, but, um, that, that's another difference with us is he did always make me feel amazing. So, um, with my faith and, um, lots of prayer and, um, realizing that majority of people are going through this. Yes. Yeah. We were really able to get through it because we both really put the work in to it. Yeah. And And that's what it takes. I would say to just caveat all that is like, there's an aspect of that where I have to remind men after she tells that part of it is that the men have to do the work. Yes. There's mm. not just a full-blown grace. She's not Jesus, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> so, so there is, there's work that has to be done. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I couldn't find that in a local church. I couldn't find that anywhere. It was Triple X Church. I, I, I will always speak very highly of them because that's one of the things I learned was like, oh, there's a practice. And that's the way I approach things now, very practical. There's a practical okay. approach to this. And really, it's honest and transparency, but it's like you can ask anybody in my workplace. So I work in the banking industry and I'm part of different organizations throughout the state. And all of them will say, oh, yeah, Gerald does talk about pornography addiction. Like he will talk about it. And I do. And I talk about a lot of people because there's also it's why I write. It's why I have a newsletter. It's all these things. Yeah. It's part of my sobriety. Right. Mm. It's to keep doing the work. Oh, yeah. Journal. And that's why I will continue to do those things because it forces me to keep myself out there being transparent. Wow. So that's a part of where me and Tab, even Tab will call me out. I mean, oh, we yeah. haven't been married for 20 years for nothing. Like, Graceful. Like you do what you want. You get a pass. Yeah. No, like I am very honest and I always tell it like it is like, yo, dude, you suck. And that hurts. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not afraid to say that and Um, any spouse woman listening out there like your feelings are valid just because I did not feel anger does not mean your anger is not okay or justified yeah I felt more hurt and sad and even a little betrayed you know because and like I didn't meet those standards but we have very open and honest conversations and I would tell them exactly how I felt like that really hurts that you're looking at this this, this isn't okay. We got to get through this together because it's an unreal pornography is an unreal expectation for um, intimacy yeah. in a marriage. Yeah, it is. And so we were like, we gotta, we gotta figure out intimacy in our marriage and what's okay. And yeah. what isn't for right. us. We had those hard conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, you really is the key and prayer yeah. communication and prayer. <laughs> That's the first thing we'll tell a couple. 
and we've visited with couples that have led churches and pastor churches. And the first thing we will tell them is like, are you praying together? Mm. I say no. I try to keep it my draw not to drop because yeah. I'm like, you're leaders. Why are you not praying with your wife? But it's an overwhelming amount yeah. that are struggling with pornography addiction that the spouse, the husband and the wife do not pray together. And it is mind blowing to me. Yeah. That's like the biggest red flag to. Yeah. It's it's a red like, flag. Right. Because that's where the enemies come in and is they're separating them. So the pornography is just expounded upon that. Yep. And so we're always like, okay, first y'all need to have very open communication. And most importantly, you need to be praying together. Yeah. And I will tell people like, you can even pray like, Lord, I am so angry at my husband right now. He is a fool. <laughs> I'm like, you just talk to God, how you would a, another person have a conversation, but do it together. Oh, guys, I love that. You just dropped so many nuggets of wisdom there that I I can't even go back and like <laughs> highlight all of them because there, there's just too many. Um, but, you know, this is something that my husband and I, we work on as well. And he has, we've learned about, you know, protecting his triggers and he's very proactive and that if anything is ever on TV, you know, he turns it off right away or if he's scrolling now it's crazy like when I scroll my social media I see like baking stuff I see other Christian content creators the the enemy attacks him in this area where he he doesn't search this stuff anything and he'll just be in his YouTube shorts and like crazy like pornographic things pop up same with Gerald it's so wild I work in a little bit of cybersecurity too okay there's a portion of that where these things are written to find males yeah. mm. and to push it on and wow. it's a very real thing i mean you have the kids youtube this isn't the podcast but you have kids youtube and stuff that these videos are starting to sneak in and that's why you have to be very monitoring your kids stuff now even oh like gosh. roblox with my son i have to jump on there once in a while and say okay what games are on here what are you playing how are you wow. interacting with people so, wow yeah, yeah, that's interesting. They'll get the same like weird friend requests from people that, you know, their profile picture is just breast or something. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, no, I know. <laughs> uh, yes. No, it's crazy. And it's very graphic stuff. That, yeah. And it seems to be a new thing within the past like month. We've been noticing more of that popping up on his phone. And um, yeah, so definitely like our prayer life, we, we need to keep strengthening yeah. uh, as a couple to stay proactive against those things. So I'm curious as a next question for you guys is what is the difference between um, a couple or a person who succeeds at recovery versus one who doesn't or one who relapses? We kind of talked a little bit about that, but if you want to summarize maybe some of those things. Let me take the guy part. And take the yeah. Next part. <laughs> so with, <laughs> with men, uh, we don't mentor as many people right now because we're in the thick of kids and coaching and stuff like that. So we have to kind of monitor that. But there are guys that I've not met with. I've met with a couple of times. And I'm like, hey, you're not ready. Uh, there's guys who have chosen to end their marriages. Um, there's women that have chosen to end their marriages. All valid reasons and everything. But the difference between a man who wants help and is actually wanting to is that first part where you've mentioned several times is conviction. Mm. You have to be convicted. If you're not truly convicted of it, and I will tell guys who come to me like, hey, I'm struggling with this, right? Okay. Are you wanting to get off porn for your wife or for your marriage? 
Because if you're doing that, that's the wrong reason. You need to do it for your conviction of you. Mm. You convicted of it. Because you can do something for somebody else, but we all know that's short-lived. Yeah. You have to have a true conviction in your heart that's going to actually make you, force you to address your pride and address all these secretive actions to, to push yourself in some sort of honesty with yourself. And that's the hardest part for a man is like, go look in the mirror. I, this is a little exercise that I would have men do too. Is like, go look in the mirror and go tell yourself, I am an addict of pornography. Mm-hmm. And it's not some weird identification. It's just, you need to know that truth that you need help with that. Right. Yeah. And so let's quit skirting around this issue. Right. And the, the second part of this whole thing is like, hey, you've got, just like we were talking, you got to do the actions. Like there was times where I would hand her the cell phone. Even today, to this day, you know, there's times when I'll say, there's things that we have in place and I'll say, hey, Tap, it's been a really rough day. That's her cue to say, okay, Drill's struggling right now and we need to make sure this is cool. But that's me interacting with her and telling her like, hey, I've had a really rough day. Yeah. So. Porn is not an option for me. So that means I'm going to dip into something else. Uh, isolation, depression. I might go eat, a, you know, two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at 11 o'clock. You know, there's something <laughs> yes. I'm going to do, right? And so, but that's her key. And so sometimes she'll say, hey, what do you need? Do you want to sit and talk? Do you want to do this? And I'll say, hey, you know, let me just go chill for a second on the back porch. There's kind right. of get my head, right? And so those are things where men have to get there's so many people that look to us and be like man we love your marriage it's like man do you really want to see the work that's went into that wow yeah because there's a lot of bricks been laid there so and and so whenever you when the first thing i look at a guy the first thing is that's what i'm trying to gather is like hey are you really doing this for yourself out of conviction and are you really ready to do the work because about the first week of talking with a guy, I can figure out like, no, you're not really in this to win this right now. Mm. You're just doing this for everybody else. Yeah. So. so it's a God thing, like really waiting on it God. It really is. Yeah. 100%. It really is. And with the women, um, when, because a lot of the times how we walk with people is the spouse come to me first. And so I'm like, I am absolutely here to help you and guide you and walk with you. But I need to be very honest with you so that you fully understand this. Um, This is not something to hang over your husband's head. Um, And God is not a genie. Mm. So we need to quit using him as such. There is real work that has to go into this. And when you promise and vow to be a supportive wife, you need to be just that. That does not mean you need to be a doormat and allow whatever's going on, but it does mean that you need to pray with your husband, that um, you need to speak truth to him. Because I feel like that's part of grace too, is like, even though this hurts, like, and you're confessing to me and I know you feel guilt and shame and all that stuff, but I'm hurt too. And it's okay for me to express to you that I'm hurt because a lot of women feel like, oh, I can't say any, I can't say anything because it's going to disrupt his recovery. And I'm like, no, this is like a journey together you need to be honest you don't need to be hateful or mean spirited about it but you do need to be honest and so sometimes their spouses they're looking they're like doing like ultimatums well if he gets help then we'll fix it or um if not then I'm walking out and there's been spouses where I'm like they're ready to go like it's more than just pornography going on here there's there's zero connection 
or communication. Yeah. And so that um really the both the couple just has to be ready to do the work because it takes a lot of work. And that's and I said it just a few minutes ago, I'll say it again. God is not a genie. And you absolutely need to pray, but he expects you to do the work. Um, he can absolutely heal somebody. I, I do not discount that at all. But in a lot of churches, and this is where we got sideways with one of our churches, is they would do these amazing sermons and speak on it. And but then tell people that it's because they don't have a good relationship with Jesus or and I'm, I remember being like, oh, that's that's not true though people can have a great relationship with jesus and and still struggle and and then people start thinking oh my gosh maybe god doesn't like me maybe maybe something's wrong with me because they're praying and it's not going away and i'm like that's so sad i love that they do sermons on that but let's have some resources yes for to help for people because some we've even had couples where like you need more help than we can even provide you need real therapy there's a real issue here and we're, we're like, we'll walk beside you, but also you need therapy. Mm. So it's just, there just has to be a lot of work done. And most of that work is communication and being open and honest. Yep. I love that. I love that you, I, I heard you guys say that on the 8,000 Promises podcast too. It's like um, going to these church sermons and maybe it is a great message and it's like, oh, we'll pray about it. But then, okay, what's next though? What's next? What are right. the steps? Because without a plan, people fail. Like you need a plan, a strategy to overcome these big feats in our lives. hundred yeah. percent. So I'm having an idea. Um, and so at the end of our show, we usually will have the guest pray us out. I'm wondering if you two wouldn't mind giving us like an example prayer of something that you would pray with or over each other, like for couples who are maybe watching this or listening to this and they're like, okay, how do I pray about this with my spouse? If you would tell us, you know, say a prayer with us, that would maybe be a good example of how they can. Oh yeah. We could totally do that. So our (laughs) prayers normally like He'll start off and I'll end or I'll start off and he'll end, but it is Perfect. both of us together. So it's not just one person praying. Is that okay? I love that. And first, before you get started, um, just tell us how people can find you if they do want to be mentored by you, what your resources are. and then we Yes. Can- so right now we do mentoring like one-off. So people come to us over email or Facebook or read my book or something like that. We'll kind of vet people through that way right now. Okay. Uh, don't have an actual mentoring site set up yet. Uh, like I said, we've taken a, we're taking a little backseat on that right now. We're trying to re, rethink some of those things. Yeah. Uh, but you can find us um, obviously on social media. Um, Gerald, G-E-R-A-L-D, Sky by Z-G-A-B-A-Y, and then Tabby, T-A-B-B-Y. And then uh, also you can sign up. We have a weekly newsletter that mm-hmm. I write to. It's called the Sober and Faith uh, Newsletter. And that's out weekly. So you can reach that on geraldskyby.com slash sign up. And I actually have a little resource guide that goes with my first book that I'll send for free that will just come to your mailbox. And that touches on, you know, a lot of the different things that we've just kind of talked about, just kind of faith, church trauma, and then some of this where you get into the pornography and stuff like that. And then our second book, I always kind of mention the second book differently, opening up because that walks more into what me and Tab walk through mm. as far as getting ready for adoption, but also processing what that looked like to walk through 
internet pornography together and some of those things that kind of came through. So that's the second book. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. third one hopefully comes out soon. I don't know yet. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for oh, sharing. Thank you. You want to start? Sure. Okay, cool. Okay. So we're we're doing an example of how we would pray for one another when there's a struggle or something like that. Yes. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now with open minds and open hearts. And um, even if we're feeling a little sad or hurt or frustrated in the moment, Lord, we know that you already know the outcome of this, that um, that you are um, so kind and so loving and so giving, Lord. So we just ask that we receive that and feel that from you, Lord, in this moment. And um, we just thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, and what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so right now, Lord, I just um, thank you for our marriage. Thank you for what you've done. And I just ask that um, before we get into a really hard conversation, that both of our guards are let down, our defenses are down, and that our hope and optimism are up. And so I just thank you, God, for these tough conversations, because I know they're going to make us stronger in the end. And I know that our faith is going to be even bigger because you're right in the center of it, Lord. So help us to put our egos aside and to um, really focus on what each other has to say. And we just thank you in advance for the tools um, that you're going to give us and the words of wisdom and um, the peace that we're going to feel at the end we love you and we praise you and we thank you so much for all that you do for us god i thank you so much i thank you for this conversation we've had i thank you for the stories the convictions you put on our heart where i thank you for the way that tabby can just tell the story and just bring hope to other people and awareness and encouragement lord we thank you for the kids you've given us to raise lord we thank you for the jobs you put in front of us lord we thank you for the abilities to just be able to speak and to be open and to honest and just continue to just guide us, Lord, and just give us that strength. Give us those uh, open doors with people, Lord, that are struggling um, in anything, Lord. And we just pray for uh, this message. We pray for me and Tabby's story, Lord, to be heard with just the right ears, Lord, hitting at the right moment. And we just pray that, you know, it just instills hope, Lord, especially just in you, Lord, and what you do for people and the reality of what it is, Lord, to have the Holy Spirit. We thank you. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to have you leave a review and share it with a friend. All information on how to stay connected with the Raised and Redeemed podcast can be found in the show notes below. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.